my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He's my work wife, James Hardigan. I'm slightly conflicted because this is the one week when I can legitimately revert to happy birthday, Joe, because I think I'm right in saying it's your birthday this week. It is my birthday this week. Please, no one wish me a happy birthday. I, I seriously, I don't. It's just, it's such an inconvenience. Well, the good news is I'm not going to do that because we are recording this podcast on Wednesday, the 5th of October, 2022. It is the 60th anniversary of the premiere of Doctor No. It is Global James Bond Day. So I'm going to say happy Global James Bond Day, Joe. Much more important than your birthday. Perfect. Okay, coming up on today's show, poker sure isn't dead, is it, James? (laughs) No. uh, Any day that poker is on the front page of BBC News, you know it's alive and well. That's right. Poker is thriving, making the mainstream news, although it's never really for anything good, is it? No, no. Yeah, and I'm not talking about the fact that I want a seat to the World Series of Poker main event. (laughs) No. I did, though. I did in a charity event. We will be discussing that later, but I'm obviously referring to Hustler Casino Live and the infamous Jack Four call down. Yeah, I kind of feel there's a happy coincidence this week. We had Sam Grafton booked for this week, uh, primarily to talk about his $5.5 million score a few weeks back. Obviously, we will ask him about that. We're not going to ignore it, but priorities, we are going to get Sam's take on this controversial hand. That's great because we'll get uh, our opinions on it, which don't matter at all because we're not really poker players. And then we can have an actual real live high stakes poker player to give uh, a way more informed opinion than ours. Fantastic. Can't wait to talk to Sam in general, even more to talk about this particular subject. And finally, this week for Superfan versus Stapes, Daniel Barron is the superfan and he's challenged me to what? Go. Go where? I'm not going to play this game with you. The Doug (laughs) Lyman movie from 1999. It's called Go. You must be a fan of this one. This has Joe Stapleton written all over it. Do we want to talk about it now or later? Let's talk about it later when Daniel's with us on the podcast. I think it's fair to say that we talked in detail about movies and TV on Monday's stream. Um, I think the key takeaway, the big recap, is that we're both very much enjoying the new Star Wars series and or... I've only seen four episodes. I think by the time we finish recording this show, episode five will have dropped. Uh, But so far, so good. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Joe. Having a writer of Tony Gilroy's caliber as the showrunner really makes all the difference. I mean, you're just going to have the guy that wrote fucking Michael Clayton writing the new Star Wars series. Like, yeah. (laughs) Look, there's no guarantees in Hollywood at all, right? Shit happens. But like that formula is going to be pretty good. And... It's the character is already proven with uh, obviously with Rogue One uh, and the fact that it's proven, but not like part of like the 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 canon like Boba Fett. Right. Absolutely. Like, there hasn't been so much done with him that we do have some room for to see some more of this character, I think, personally. Absolutely. And the fact that we're being introduced to other new characters in the wider universe by virtue of this show. Of course, this is a perfect opportunity to remind you guys that we do cover the Sunday Million every single week on the Pokestars Twitch and YouTube channels. The Sunday Million being a two-day event means we pick up the action at the start of day two. Normally fewer than 100 players remaining and we watch it through to its conclusion it was pretty fast and furious on monday night joe i know i signed off at 10 30 uk time but you were done like 30 minutes later 
It did not take long at all. Yeah. And I know that we had been kind of spoiled as far as work days were concerned. Uh, because of WCOOP, all the final tables were taken like between like two and three and a half hours, I think was maybe on the long side. So I was ready to go back to like a, you know, five hour final table, but nope, over pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was a bit of an overlay that week, so I guess maybe there's slightly fewer chips in play than not normal. Much. But uh, I mean, yeah, like not a lot. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and as I mentioned to you and Maria on Monday night, I will not be a part of the streams for the next few weeks. So this coming Monday, it'll be you plus Nick Walsh plus Griffin Benja. And then Nick is going to be handling proceedings solo. I mean, I'm sure he'll be working uh, with one of his colleagues from the Team Pro roster, but he's going to handle the other streams in the month of October before we get to that second attempt at the WCOOP main event week at the start of, uh, of November. Um, one thing that has happened since the stream on Monday night is I did go to the Bond concert on Tuesday night. What does that mean, the Bond concert? So it was organized by David Arnold, who was the composer for five Bond films, uh, the last three Brosnan movies and Daniel Craig's first two movies. And it was the sound of 007 in concert marking the 60th anniversary, one of the many activities taking place to mark this anniversary this year. And it was the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra performing music from the Bond films, some of the scores composed by people like John Barry, George Martin, Marvin Hamlish, Thomas Newman, and David Arnold himself, and of course, the songs. And I cannot quite put this into words. What I will say is that I believe that the concert was filmed and can be watched right now on Amazon Prime, along with a documentary about the music of 007. And all 25 Bond films are now available on Amazon Prime to mark Global James Bond Day. So there you go. There's me shilling for Amazon because they've gone all out with Bond. But yeah, this concert started with the lights going down, the opening notes to Diamonds Are Forever playing, Shirley Bassey walks on stage at the age of 85 and the entire venue erupts and she belts out Diamonds Are Forever. She belts out Goldfinger. Lulu came on stage to do The Man with the Golden Gun. Garbage were there to do The World Is Not Enough. There were some great cover versions by artists like Jamie Cullum. Skin from Skunk and Nancy did an amazing version of Live and Let Die. Ella Eyre, uh, who did that song, uh, I Came Here for Love, uh, she did both License to Kill and she did... Um, Nobody does it better. And Paloma Faith oh, wow. did Goldeneye. Uh, it was a phenomenal concert. That sounds really fun. Did they play the theme song from uh, On His Majesty's Secret Service? Did On they change Her it? Majesty's Secret Service will not be changed, will not be updated. It was the first piece that the wider orchestra did solo. And yeah, it was... Uh, you know, that is a great piece of music. Uh, the boat chase from The World Is Not Enough also really went down well. Uh, the entire So what did they do? Suite. They show clips of the movie and then had live musical performances to I go mean, with it? I mean, there's visuals going on, but it's not like one of those shows where they're matching. It's not a film. play along. Okay. No, 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 no. Anyway, as I said, if you want to see the concert for yourself, I think it's now on Amazon. But I think we should get into the meat and potatoes of this week's show uh, because there is something very important to discuss that has dominated the poker agenda for the last few days. So without further ado, let's introduce our guest. He is a UK pro. He is a star's ambassador. And as we referenced, he recently won a huge seven-figure score in a 200k buy-in tournament at the Triton Series in Cyprus. He's also a friend of ours and one of our live stream commentary colleagues. So Sam Grafton, welcome back to the podcast. 
Hey guys, really excited to be here. I am sorry that you're already old news. <laughs> I'm sorry that your amazing win has been pushed out of the poker headlines. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the same the same day that uh, all that went down, uh, my friend like Lucky Chewy won a fifty k or whatever, and I was like, bro, I had to scroll so far down my feet. And you know he won some all in aces ace king against queens. I was like, mate, literally became the most boring hand history of all time within an hour of it happening. Oh, I'm in a I'm in a group chat, obviously, as lots of us are with lots of poker players, and they always use the photo of like the most recent winner in their uh, in the group chat. So I I had a win in a charity tournament, Sam, and uh, my my photo was up for about twelve hours. Yeah. Before it got replaced by uh, the the Jack Four, yeah, I think photo, it's a special so. sort of uh, Twitter poker lightning rod where it's it's I don't want to say it's uh, it's just on the cusp of being important and not important, right? Like it's not super serious. Like both people are going to be okay in the long run, and it's not like I'm serious. And then it's a perfect. You could talk about game theory. You could talk about libraries. You could talk about gender. It's got like every kind of hot touch them all. Hot, yes. I I think I was really late to this because it was only over the weekend. I'm not sure when this stream was live. I'm not sure when the hand first started generating conversation and when Doug Polk started making conspiracy theory videos and Joe Ingram started doing 18-hour live streams. But I obviously saw a lot of the chatter on social media and was thinking, okay, it seems to me that people are in one of two camps, that either this is an amazing play and an amazing soul read, or this person was cheating. So I found the video, I found the clip of the hand, and I'm like, am I the only person who thinks that it's neither of those things, and it's someone just effectively making a mistake? And I was so glad, Joe, when I messaged you, and you're like, yeah, I think exactly the same thing. Um, And look, I know that it's very easy to draw quick conclusions and I don't want to be emphatic in any sense of the word, but I don't see any evidence of anything dodgy going on here. What was your take on it, Sam? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in, in your camp. I think obviously it's, um, there's something sort of, is, is it Rorjakian, you know, like a Rorjak test where you bring your own biases in your own thing and oh I, that's interesting i like that yeah and i think i think but i think by the way in, in my sympathy for people who are on the other side of the fence so there is a bit of trauma perhaps in the in the in the in the poker community of you know there was super users on ultimate bet back in the day there's yeah. been a big you know some some high stake pros who many people considered friends were, were bound to be cheating recently uh, you know people have been had their computers hacked all these sort of things so people sort of a very, and obviously the chess scandal at the moment, people are very quick to see cheating. And it is actually right that we're vigilant and on our guard. But I think yeah. it, it speaks of people's background, whereas I I do tend to agree. I mean, I I've, I know Robbie a, li a little bit. Through oh, interesting. Yeah, we happen to play for, we played um, a shootout event and, and we, at the World Series, and we played Heads Up. And the Heads Up lasted a long time. And just, I'm quite, chat we, we chatted a lot. And um, yeah, I, I feel like maybe she's sort of been elevated um, to playing in this super high pressure situation as often get happens to ambitious uh, amateurs. Maybe they're thrown up the ranks a bit quickly because they seem to have a bit of money and are excited about the game. And you know what, to me, it looks like one of those things, you know, when you have a, a sort of dream and you're suddenly you're in the NBA and you get past the ball and you've got to make a 
she's kind of a bit shocked. And, and to me, that would explain them giving the money back. The giving the money back seems like sort of fight or flight. It's a response. It's like, look, how could I be cheating here? I care so little about this money that I'm willing to hand it back immediately. Surely that shows, whereas other people, again, speaking of a sort of Rojakian thing, feel that, well, that's evidence of cheating. But but to me, it's just, you know, if I was yeah. in a circumstance where someone accused me of, of stealing something from a, a shop, and I was just like, look, I'll pay again. Like, I, I'm so don't want to be accused of cheating. I've got this money in my wallet. Here you go. I'll pay, I'll pay for it twice. I because I don't want to be under the spotlight. So that, that I do want to, I do want to talk about that aspect a little bit. That's one of the more interesting aspects to me that so many people use that as rationale as to like, that proves it. That proves that she's cheating. First of all, I don't know any cheaters that give the money back. Sure. Um, that seems very strange to me. They almost never give the money back when they're cheating. And secondly, although I do agree with some of the takes that this isn't as much about sexism as mainstream people want to make it, I do think that in general, women feeling bullied into bending to the will of men is is one of the... F- aspects of sexism that does exist in this that when you are cornered by someone and i'm not saying garrett did it in a particularly horrible or aggressive way that women are very likely a lot of time to just go along to get along okay here you go have the money back i I don't think it's admission of guilt at all exactly and you would be very protective in any industry of someone new to you know obviously there's not exactly a hierarchy at the poker table in the way there is in corporations but you wouldn't want a very senior member of staff if we could make the analogy of garrett being that very comfortable in this arena very used to this arena being newer to that arena and there being a financial transaction where the other person that would be actually to the protection of the person at the top of the hierarchy and the protection of the person so that there was no idea that there could be any wrongdoing and i think it's a little bit of a mistake to allow allow that transaction to go down in the heat of the moment uh you know if you wanted to take the the money into kind of like under the control of a neutral third party you know if, if you really felt like something needed to be done that would have been better to me i, I think that also puts puts gareth gareth rather in an invidious position yeah just very quickly in case there is anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about here, who hasn't seen the video or any of the videos about the video. We are talking about a hand from the Hustler Casino live stream from last week. The players in question are Garrett Adelstein and Robbie Jade Lou. The hand involved, um, I believe Robbie was straddling from under the gun. Uh, It's folded to Garrett, who's in the third blind. He raises to $3,000 with 8-7 of clubs, and Robbie calls with Jack Four Offsuit, Jack of Clubs, Four of Hearts. It is a Ten of Hearts, Ten of Clubs, Nine of Clubs board. This, to me, is the biggest mistake in the hand. Where is the Street Flash animation, people? <laughs> this is the moment where you celebrate the fact that you have a Street Flash draw. And understandably, with that draw, Sam, Garrett continues for two and a half K. Robbie calls with just the Jack of Clubs. The Three of Hearts on the turn puts a second flush draw out there. Garrett now bets 10K. Robbie raises to 20K. She clicks it. Garrett shoves. And Robbie, the effective stack, calls all in for 109K more. Yes, Jack High is the best hand. Yes, they run it twice. And she wins both runouts because it comes brick, brick in both runouts. But at the point that the money went in, she's a statistical underdog. So if you had inside information, why would you call there? 
Yeah, and, and that means that in order for it to be cheating, you need to also know the the two, not just the one river, but two rivers, right. which means that you need to be part of a huge operation, which, you know, I don't know anything about the Hustle Casino, but people seem to say would be an impossibility. And if you did have such information, to do it in such conspicuous circumstances, you know, you, you arrange this amazing operation, you've infiltrated the game, you've got people working behind the scenes, and, you know, the, the scheme that you arrive at to defraud, you know, this high-stakes pro is the most outrageous hand that anyone's ever seen on a live stream would seem to be rather foolish. So We're, we're yeah. kind of all in the same conclusion here, but I do want to say that the ar a main argument for the other side of this is that people are saying oh, the only signal she would have been gotten getting is that she's ahead, which is why she seems so conflicted. But but she does it anyway. I I don't happen to agree with that. Although I do think there is a slight argument there. If it was just binary, you're ahead, you're behind. Sure. That's what people but, are arguing, but yes, also, I, I, also yeah, absolutely. If you were a naive poker player, for instance, and didn't really understand how bad this is going to look, you're just going with the signal. Yeah, that, I mean, of course. There is, I mean, you know, you if, if, if you are new to this topic, you can go on Twitter and, and read for hours. You can watch 50 yeah. hours, you know, the, the extended director's cut of of, of uh, 20 different podcasts going yeah. into very, very depth. But it certainly has been uh, an amazing, amazing few days on Twitter. You know, both the both the very best of poker Twitter and some excellent memes and, and some of the worst takes as well. And also some terrible takes in the mainstream as well with the whole, oh, you know, a, a girl gets the better of the guys and they can't take it. It's like, oh, please, come on. What, um, what, what drove me the most crazy about that was seeing all the replies to that particular thread of people saying, I played poker in my company home game and I beat all the CEOs. They couldn't handle the fact that I outplayed them and misread them. And I'm like, there's just, there's just no way. Like it's just caused so many, so many terrible, terrible takes from people weighing in about poker who know nothing about it. And yeah. that's been the most frustrating thing for me. And I think it's very clear, you know, when everyone is shell shocked, when the hands are turned on their back, no one more than Garrett and, Robbie's reasoning, her explanation, and the fact that her story keeps changing and she's throwing around poker lingo in a rather confused context. Again, that just speaks to me of someone who's still learning the game, who isn't that experienced. And I think Faraz spoke to that as her coach, that, look, she understands the concept of blockers, but doesn't yet necessarily know how to apply that. And that, again, is my biggest takeaway from this is I think it was an inexperienced player making an honest mistake. But just to go back, Sam, to something you said, which is that poker players are right to be vigilant. And I 100% agree. And from my point of view, this is one of my concerns in the last few years about the proliferation of live streaming, because I am concerned that if and when something big goes wrong, and obviously we have seen some scandals surrounding live streams, it's going to reflect badly on all of us who make content out of live poker. I can only speak to the integrity of the productions that I work on. I don't know Nick and Ryan. I've no reason to suspect that they don't put game integrity at the center of what they do at Hustler Casino Live. And I think the fact that they are opening themselves up to external audit shows that they feel they have nothing to hide. And I think it's only right that they do that when they've got accusations being pointed at them. Um, but I don't really know where this goes from here. Does it all just die down and we all move on and we get on with the rest of our lives? 
Well, I think the one thing that has to be resolved, because as, as much as I said it, 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 it doesn't really have any stakes and that's what makes it exciting to talk about Twitter, there is actual real money that's changed hands back and forth. And, and I think that that issue needs to be resolved in some way where, you know, there's some kind of uh, appropriate measure rega regarding the money. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's very hard to, pr you know, prove to a conclusive level just because I think the people that are really convinced this is an elaborate cheating plot are not going to be satisfied. You know, these, as you say, I don't, I don't exactly think it's conspiracy theory, but these sort of tales and intrigue seem to have a life of their own on the internet. And, you know, it's going to be very hard to resolve completely. I mean, it just, the, the possible scandal was, was the same, right? It, it kind of eventually fizzled out to some extent. It's just to me, it seems very, very weird that we are that people are so polarized on this topic and they're expecting people to prove a negative to yeah. prove that she didn't cheat, which is crazy. Like you can't prove a negative. The The burden of proof is on all the people who think there was cheating. And Absolutely. if that never if that never happens, then you're wrong. Yeah, I agree with that, because, you know, again, there's a lot of uh, plays. like we get. One of the great things about poker players and poker community is logic and, you know, analysis and such like. But sometimes that, that you can lose sight of um, how things operate in the real world and, and different uh, metrics of understanding things. And, and I agree, when you go to before a court and you're tried for something, they don't come away saying you're 87% innocent and now you carry around, you go back <laughs> to work and people are like, ah, he's only 87% innocent. You know, right. people found innocent. You're, you're, you're innocent. And, and definitely the benefit of the doubt should be with with an inexperienced poker player, which he undoubtedly is, no matter what happened, who took a shot at a big high-stakes cash game, has found herself at, at, you know, at the center of the focus of, of, of thousands of people. And you know, if it if it's if nothing is proved conclusively either way, she is absolutely innocent. She should have her money and she should have her reputation. Yeah. Um moving on, Sam, let's talk about you. <laughs> and that's the reason why we had you on this show to start with. Uh, in the build-up to this huge tournament and this huge win, can you tell us how the year had been going so far? Because I haven't really had a chance to check in with you since Prague, which was a pretty good festival for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been a, it's been a great year. I, um, I mean, I took the summer off. I had like quite a hectic summer. I was, um, I went to Vegas uh, for. I don't know, like 10 days, 14 days or something. Played a bit. I partied a, a bit, actually. Now I went to Finland. Then I was in Palestine. Then I was in Barcelona. So it wow. was like, boom, boom, boom. I had a few days in London in between. Like maybe like what, like one point in the summer, I had like five, six days in a row in, in London. So so it was, it was great. It was a great summer. But actually, because I hadn't been focusing on poker, I'd had like seven weeks off. I didn't play... Uh, I played like one 25k, which I last minute registered in Barcelona. My plan was really just to ease back into it. I wasn't planning to go to Cyprus at all. Um, even though my form's been pretty good, and as you say, I've had, you know, a couple of really big results over the year. Um, I really felt like, oh, I just want to like ease back into high stakes, study and be ready for Prague and PCA. But um, I got a message from Dave uh, Nicholson. I, I, actually, it's funny because I know whenever... Like when I get a message from Dave and he's like, hey, mate, how are you doing? Like, all, all good. I know he's not just checking. There's always <laughs> going to be some, something that is going to be. Hope this email finds you well. There's going to be. Anyway. A, no, but it's going to, but it's the opposite. I know he's not going to ask for money. It's going to be like, if you're thinking about 
buying this current cryptocurrency or have you thought about putting some money on this football result because I've got a good feel. It's always like a little spot that's going to be good for me. So anyway, he was like, have you heard about this invitational tournament? And then, you know, a lot of pros put their names forward to be picked or we're trying to find some of the buddy up with, but I, I really wasn't interested in playing. But when Dave, who's a, you know, a very genuine and, and long, long-standing friend said he wanted to play and he hadn't played a poker tournament for many years, he said, would I give him some coaching? And then we played together, do a little bit of business. He takes some of my action. I bought a little piece of him and we'd go and play. I was like, yeah, absolutely great. And of course, if I'm going for a 200K, I, 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 you know, I want to make a good trip of it. And so I was ready to go for Cyprus. So I sort of hit, went back to studying quite hard, even in and around Barcelona, you know, to sort of prep for it. And then obviously the week went absolutely amazing, you know. Sam, when you say you went back to studying, what more is there for you to learn at this point? This thing, I, and sorry, I know that sounds funny, but I, I, I'm also serious in that. Is it just memorizing more situations? Like, what, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, it's just. I mean, firstly, there's there's being sharp in the if you're doing your reps, if you're studying, things are fresh. So even if you know something, you know, it's such a complex game, things fall away and now you come. Whereas when you're really in the streets, you know, it used to be just playing was the way, you know, like I would play every day and we'd get 12 days in, I'd be able to smell myself and, you know, I'd really be like in the meta game. And now the same happens with study where I'm really playing, studying, study, like going over hand after hand. Also, there's new technologies that come out, new ways of like analyzing. So things to have still evolved slightly, even in the amount. I mean, obviously, I feel comfortable with my talent that I could go and play a 1K tournament, and I'm going to be fine with two months off, three months off, six months off. That's fine. But obviously, I'm I'm going to beat you know Ben 86 and Linus and Jason Kuhn, You know, in order to compete with these guys and really be sharp against those those, those type of players, I really want to be at my at my very performance i guess i don't know how much detail you're willing to go into sam but we know on the super high roller circuit that players are often not playing paying the full buy-in themselves either they're backed or they're selling action when you play a two hundred thousand dollar buy-in is that all your own money no absolutely not no i mean i've never i've never played a, a buy-in above 25k with all of my own action um the, the good thing about this one is that you know it was obviously a spot to take a little bit more than you would. The, 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 the most responsible way, there are, by the way, there are players that take, I mean, people think that, that uh, Tom Prozell, there are guys that are really gambling. There's, there's guys, there's, there's professional players who have 100% of their action that's on I know that. Um, but, but, you know, for someone for me who's much more careful, doesn't have as much money, you know, I normally estimate things in, t- in taking a certain percentage of my net worth and putting that at risk each right. and every tournament. And but this was obviously a spot to gamble a little bit more because half the field was going to be business people. There was a kind of sense this is going to be one of the best value tournaments for a poker pro. So I knew that I was going to gamble quite hard and and you know and it, and it sort of paid up. So it was a very gratifying result financially. Obviously, I didn't win anything near five point five million. Okay. So uh, you mentioned that there are captains of industry in this game as well, uh, b- business people. When you study and you're learning how to play against the Linuses and the Sam Greenwoods and uh, you know the 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 best of the best, does the studying work as well against the business people, or is it less effective? Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really good question, Joe. Actually, um, 
obviously the one thing you can do first thing is you can watch tape of VIPs playing. There are some like VIPs that play regularly and having a sense sure. of their tendencies on final tables. Are they just gambling around? Are they some some of them are very good poker players, right? And some of them are complete recreationals who are just playing for fun. And having a sense of that player before you arrive at the table is, is going to be useful. Then obviously there's a, a sense of like, if someone's three betting you more, like what would be the counter to that? Someone's putting in too much money. What's the counter to that? Like, again, just a good understanding of poker fundamentals, right? Uh, it's not, I, I don't, you know, you speak of memorization. I don't really do any memorization. It's more just understanding you know what um what how things work out when people play different strategies and then of course there's just a a, a card a, a card playing element to the game okay so and that's that, still there oh of course and that's why stevie's there fadal's there ben 86 you we actually don't see we, we do see players break through uh of course but actually a lot of the players that are at the top have been playing for a long time and that's because as happened on the final I, on the left of me was a great guy, Carl, but he's a, a cryptocurrency trader. Amazing guy. He's drinking at the table. He's having fun. He's putting a lot of pressure on people. And and there's if you just memorize stuff, let's just say you looked at charts and you were like, here's this would this would leave you absolutely bereft, right? You have to play completely. When one player is playing every single hand at the table, you need to now completely readjust your, your strategy. And that's where, of course, 12 years of, not to be aggrandizing, but 12 years of experience is really, yeah. really useful, you know? Like, uh, I've, I've played against different types of player. I can adjust my strategies. I have a sense of what the other guy, how other players at the table will be adjusting. I mean, one thing I just had to do with him on my left was, was tighten up. And that's also just being in control of your own ego, right? Like not saying, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to war with this guy and one of us is yeah. gonna, that's how I would have approached it, by the way, eight years ago. I would be like, right, you know, you know <laughs> me, buddy. One of us is getting nine. Um, you would have Robbie Jade <laughs> lewd him. Yeah, exactly. I'd call him down with Jack Four off and hope it's good. Um obviously Sam, there were some of us who were very busy streaming WQ while this event was taking place and didn't get a chance to watch the live stream. So I am asking this out of genuine interest, what kind of final table was it for you? Were you in control the whole way? Were you kind of playing ICM considerations? What was the dynamic? Yeah, no, it was it was um, it was quite unique because Carl came as chip leader, so he's um, you know he he was he was playing every hand and also just calling all ins very liberally. So you know he he got shoved on first hand by someone. He just called with Queen Ten suited and he knocked out Tom Baldwin. And then Seth shoved on him, he called with seven, six diamonds and knocked, <laughs> wow. knocked Seth out. And so now he had an even bigger. And so now some of the strategies, you know, we do this little like, oh, we shove ace deuce because they're only going to call, they're going to fold ace eight. Well, now if someone's not folding ace eight or indeed they're not folding queen 10, you now need a completely different type of hand class yeah. going all in with, right? So, the, the, you know, really, really made things difficult for the pros who, who were used to having things their own way. And so I was, I was a lower stack or a mid stack, et cetera, et cetera. And then, um, you know, I, it just reversed. We got, um, we got three hand in, I took the chip lead and then I, I just put them all in. I was just like, all right, guys, you find the hand now. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, it was a, it was a lovely final table to be at. There were some really, really strong poker players there. Um, really nice people. Ebony was there. Carl was there. There was a few newer faces, which gave it a bit of glamour, a bit of excitement. Obviously, it was a kind of glamorous tournament as well. And then, obviously, to beat Linus heads up was a, was a kind of, you know, not something I would have picked to be, you know, not the player I would have been picked. 
a pick to be playing heads up. But I didn't think that that added a little something, you know, to it. Not that I outplayed him or something. I went, I had a seven to one chip lead heads up. You know, it was very, very likely that I would win. Just eventually I'm going to win one of the all-ins against him. But that, but that was, it, you know, it was it was a real, honestly, it was a, it was a dream to play. It was just a very, you know, I won my all-ins. I, I, I'm very proud of playing this tournament. It was a very enjoyable tournament to play and just a really nice thing to win. Did the $5.5 million, which I know, obviously, you said that you did not win near that amount, but whatever amount you cashed for, did that lead to a better wedding gift for Ben Heath than he would have gotten? His had already been locked in, unfortunately. But yeah, that was really nice. We we flew to Venice. Like I, t- I didn't play the main because I just wanted to bask in the glory. I just meandered around making sure everyone said congratulations. <laughs> Going into the kitchen of the of the restaurant to make sure the chef said, "Well, but, you know, I just meandering around," and and then went to Venice, and that was really great. And and the other thing I should say about the money, one of the things that's really nice about this is, of course, because it, it was sort of facilitated by Dave. There's a kind of understanding that the, you know, in a lot of circumstances, the business person you work with gets a kind of first option. So actually, the money was distributed to a lot of old school UK poker players who were, you know, one of the real one one of the things that. All, also makes this world nice is is even though you don't have all the action very often it's going to people that you love and respect cool other poker pros and such like and that, and so you know they they were like no spoiler they're like i don't they don't didn't want to know when i buzzed and i really enjoyed the idea of the guy sweating at home you know with like big chunk of money in play by the way and and you know like railing in the all ends and, and and sweating it themselves nice that, that's a it was a real nice kind of thing to keep me going um, I think it's what has it been now, Sam? Three, four years since you've been playing at the highest stakes and playing in the kind of high roller, super high roller games. Do you ever have any internal conflict as someone with your kind of political, sure. social sensibilities? That fuck me, I'm playing in a two hundred thousand dollar buy-in event with a five point five million dollar first prize. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous what we get to do for well, that what people get to do with the leisure, and that there's that much money circulating around this economy. I mean, obviously, I you know, I mean, I I, I spend some time with people who are, are less fortunate in society, and and it is it is a huge goal. And and obviously, even just um, the sort of opulence of some of the surroundings that you get to play in, and and the lives that that people live, even the life that I'm leading. You know, going from fucking Cyprus to, to Venice is yeah. ridiculous, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. And, um, and yeah, I, I agree with you. It is, it is kind of, I mean, this is the first 200K event that I played and I, and I won it. And, and that amount of money is, yeah, even the amount of money I'm, I've won myself, it's, it's quite hard to, 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 get, to get your head around, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely... One of the things about our society that the way money is distributed is is not fair or correct, you know? and, and and I would never I would never say otherwise. Even though I'm very lucky to do this for a living, and you know, it's it's also I mean, one of the things that, that's said about capitalism is it's very efficient or whatever. But if I think about how good we've all got at poker and how many hours we spent into improving strategies, the amount of technology that's spent studying it, yeah. and then other areas of society where we don't we haven't spent that much money or are there people of the intelligence of Nikita, Ike, Michael Adamo of course studying the problems of society of how we eradicate this social ill or how we deal with this situation that we have on our, our streets and and you know wh- why the, the fact that the incentives are there 
to put our brain power to work. You know, other thing about some of the jobs that I did, and again, this isn't to make excuses. I can now go and do whatever job I, I wanted to do. But I remember when I worked with adults with learning disabilities or when I worked with, as a teaching assistant. I remember when I did, worked as a teaching assistant, I got to the end of the year and I was like, oh, will I be able to come back next year? And they just didn't have the money. They were like, well, we're applying for the money. They couldn't guarantee me a job back in, in September. And I went and did uh, chugging on the street. I went and did charity fundraising, which was also paid on commission and you could get sacked at any minute or whatever. And, 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 and there's just not the resources there to, you know, no one was like, oh, you're really good at this job. You're actually like a smart, ambitious person. Let's, let's give you some incentive to say, well done for this year to move you up. And, and, and that, that just happens in, 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 society, in areas of society where actually it would be great to have the, mo the most talented, the most intelligent. The well, most it's because there's yeah. no immediate profit to be seen from you having that job, whereas it might be incredibly valuable, the education that you're passing along and might better society, but because we can't see the numbers adding up after you teach a lesson, then it's like just, just the way the world works. These things that we... That, like, say, fixing homelessness, for example, costs us way more in the long run as a society, but because we don't want to write that check up front, no one can wrap their head around it. Absolutely. Same, same with prisons. So it's like, mate, good job. And mate, who needs to get Professor Chomsky on the podcast when we've got Joe <laughs> Stapleton? It's like having got, we just, we just hand over to you, Joe, and. There it is. The great the exact exact analysis. Absolutely. Right. I'm sitting on my soapbox, not standing. It's, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so has the novelty of playing live worn off yet, Sam? No. Well, the one thing I, I did allow myself is to sort of bask in the glory a little bit. I really people were like, "You've got to play the man. You've got to." Uh, and I was like, "No, I'm just really gonna." And similarly, these last I've been reading a few books. I've been relaxing. I've been taking it easy. I'm going to play a tournament in Luton next week, probably. Nice. And then go in for EBT London, which I'm really excited about. And of course, I mean, it's going to be so easy for the next three months or or however long to sit down in the seat and be and be ready to play. It's it, it's. I mean, I'm very very blessed. I've run really good at high stakes, and you know, there's a lot of very very talented players who go up to that level and, and, and maybe very, very good, but you don't get the result and then confidence slips or maybe backers are a little bit, oh, is he, you know, as much as we, a pub players love to say, I'm not results oriented, et cetera, et cetera. Banging off wins and, and seconds and thirds really does make a difference to your confidence, of course. financial stability and such like. And, and yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I've been, I've been so blessed. This last few years of poker, the results I've had and, beginning to work with stars and and, and, and such like that. It's, it's really been so gratifying and been so lucky. I mean, I'm genuinely conflicted because obviously I love to see you doing well. I love to see you winning. I love to see you go deep. But anytime that's happening, we don't get the benefit where the fuck is Sam? Part of our broadcast team, and you know, I miss out. I miss hanging out with you. The audience misses your astute analysis. So we just kind of need you to do well in enough events to still be around to kind of give us those sure. pearls of Grafton esque wisdom that yeah. make our streams what they are. Well, I'll be in the booth in EPT London if you guys are doing commentary, and, and yeah, of course. I, I mean, I miss it as well. It's um, you know, it's it's definitely it's been so so much fun over the last couple of years to do that. And obviously it was really nice. I mean, it was it was actually great during lockdown because it was sort of like social as well. You know, I'd be it was like yeah. going to work, but actually 
chatting with four four other intelligent, funny humans for for three hours actually was really great for my mental health and, and such like. And yeah, I've really I've really really enjoyed uh, enjoyed doing that. And and people come up to me all the time saying how much they uh, appreciate like the commentary you guys do and, and what we do at Star. So something I really do like to be part of. I mean, I I loved you know I was you I, I don't know whether you can remember, but in Barcelona I came in to do commentary. Yes. And there was this amazing hand going down with Nikita and, and so what? And I was sort of on the side. I was, I was, I was itching. I was itching to be in the booth because I enjoy seeing those guys doing what they do so much and, and sort of, um, you know, being part of the team when amazing moments like that are going down at EPTs. I really, really do. I really do buzz off it. And, and as I said, it's as, as good as I think, I think we did the online commentary as well to, to you know, blow my own trumpet, blow our own trumpet, if, that, if that's a phrase. Um, you know, we did it best we could, but to do it live, I think it's it's really good fun. So one one last compliment for Sam before we cut him loose. So I was hanging out with a high stakes pro who has had a little bit too much to drink, and they start telling me this commentator doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. That commentator is like, they're embarrassing themselves in front of uh, the rest of us high stakes pros that are, and I start and I go, what, what about Sam Grafton? Like, does Sam know what he's talking about? And they're like, not only does Sam get it, like as much as anyone, any of the geniuses out there get it, but he's uniquely a genius because he can actually verbalize it. Like there's a bunch of guys that definitely get it, but they can't really talk about it because they're robots. And Sam is like the perfect blend of a dude that gets everything that the smartest people out there get, but can actually socialize and talk about it in a way that makes people understand it. And they're like, Sam is probably the best concentric circles of those two things. Oh, that, that's, that's really lovely for you to pass that on. Yeah. I mean, I, actually, I secretly do feel like, my, I'm, I am a good cop, as in, I, I sometimes feel like, oh, like if poker doesn't work out or whatever, like I could be, I could be a commentator because I do just think, I do just love it. I really love to see pop, like big hands going down. I love to see people, you know, get there, the win that they deserve after a long, long time. And, and, you know, and, and when people make amazing plays and such like that, I, I am still very, very passionate about poker and, and, and very passionate about communicating um what what it is that that pros and amateurs are thinking and doing at the table and 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 and, and, and conveying that to people and you you know and again like not, not to make this a big loving you guys really give me the platform to do that because the broadcast the production team and, and you guys really obviously Harkin here you know like when the straight guy gives us... I take that. I accept that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Joe is still all on his own in Barcelona because I got sick. Uh, hopefully that won't happen in London and I hope we get the time to work together in London. If not, Sam, the time at least to hang out. Uh, I think when you first came online, we worked out this is the fifth time you've appeared uh-huh. on the Poker in the Ears podcast. I don't think this is going to be the last. <laughs> hopefully yeah, not. I hope, I hope. Mate, I've got to talk... Each time I get a bigger score, when I get my eight million dollar score, then yeah. you get me, then you get me back on. I mean, no matter of matter of months, mate. But by the end of next year, I'll give you a reason. Uh, I'll give me a reason to win at EPT Main or something to really like. But you're like, we don't want it back on, but goddamn, he's won EPT London. We've got to do it again. Oh yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> uh, I hope that happens, uh, Sam. We will see you at the Hilton Park Lane. We will see you at EPT London. Enjoy Luton before then. Yeah, absolutely. I will. Thank you, mate, for having me on. Cheers, guys. 
Okay, time for Superfan versus Stapes. Let us introduce this week's Superfan, Daniel Barron. Hello. Hello, how you doing? Daniel Barron, not Baron Daniel. You're not royalty. I am not Baron Daniel. No, the only Baron I've heard of is Baron Trump. Um, and don't want to go there. No, we do not want to go there. Uh, Dan, <laughs> there's a better your... one. Baron Samady. Um, yes, yes. A better. Was that a, well, it sounds like a soccer player or something. Bond. Live and let, Live and die. let die. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm, well, I'm glad we're not doing Bond trivia. <laughs> Dan, before we get into the movie Go, which I have a lot to say about, uh, let's hear a little bit about you. Uh, well, I'm a, uh, as one of your recent guests, I'm a civil servant. I'm currently working on the Ukraine Humanitarian Task Force, helping get in um, uh, Ukrainians um, who are displaced in the war uh, settled over in the UK. So that's uh, quite rewarding. Um, Absolutely. Geez. I always love it when someone comes on and makes me feel totally inferior, like someone's making a really positive contribution to society. And here we are making jokes about fucking poker hands. Look, I used a, I used a paper straw last week, so I feel fine. <laughs> yeah, on the same level, I'd say. outside of work what are your passions and interests in life how much poker do you get to play um my yeah poker is a bit of a passion Uh, i've played for a a long time now about 20 years i guess um never sort of great but always good enough to be a a winning player just uh not quite good enough to sort of push on to the next level sort of like i've got a hud but i don't know how to use it effectively that's (laughs) That's a great description you are not alone i guarantee you 80 to 90 percent of the people using huds are like i'm really good now because i've got these numbers on my screen uh Well, we are going to give you the chance to win a Sunday Million ticket in this week's quiz. Uh, I need to reserve most of the time to talk about the movie because you picked a good one. When you suggested Go, I had to look back at the list. I'm thinking someone must have picked that already. They hadn't. Yeah, it was a big, big film for me when I was a youngster because it covered all of my interests at the time. Like Las Vegas hadn't been introduced to me at that point, but everything else I was uh, a big fan of. So... Um, yeah, looking forward to talking. I w- rewatched it last night, so it's fresh in my mind. Yeah, all right, let's talk about Go. Okay, so this movie came out in 1999. It was the year I graduated high school. I was a very innocent person. I don't think I saw it right away. I think I saw it on video probably a year or two later, and I remember thinking it was decent. I remember thinking like, oh, this is interesting. This is decent. Dan, I'm so fucking happy you suggested this movie. I loved it. This movie, this movie was so 90s, but in a good way. Uh, Doug Lyman obviously directed one, two of my favorite movies of all time. Swingers is like in my top three of all time. And Live, Die, Repeat is one of my is, I think, one of the best action movies ever made. Um, j- just the way this movie is structured, the way it's written. I for, you know, obviously, Given the age that we are, James, Dan, me, we're all in the same sort of age group. 90s movies really hit home for me. I feel like it was just cinema. Like there was just real cinema in the 90s. And this movie had everything. It had young people struggling, partying in Los Angeles. It had Las Vegas. It had action. It had comedy. It had a story that ties together really nicely. The stakes are relatively high, but it's... It's it rarely makes you feel uncomfortable with how things are, and it's a movie that like hasn't aged terribly. 
There's not, bad behavior in it, but the bad behavior is deemed as bad behavior, and it's not something where we have to like be like, oh well, it was the '90s. Like, no, like the bad guys do bad guy things, and the gray characters do gray character things. It's fucking great. I was very lucky that I got to see this movie for free because this was when I was working in the industry. I was doing reviews. I was doing junkets. And I got to interview the actor who plays Simon. I have forgotten his name. He is obviously a British actor. He was in the TV show Grange Hill, which I'm sure you remember, Dan. Uh, And I, again, loved it at the time, had it on DVD. I've watched it so many times. Um, So interestingly, you've rewatched it recently, Joe. I watched it last night. Like, I didn't remember oh. anything about the movie. And I, I know now because, like, the things that are discussed in the movie are things that I wouldn't have any sort of um, re- frame of reference to at that age. Now yeah. that I've lived in Los Angeles, I've been around the party scene. I've been around Las Vegas. I've been around shady characters. My, my own sexual experience is infinitely different than it was back then. I don't think I could really understand many of the concepts in this movie. And now that I've lived a life, I do. And I'm like, this movie fucking rocks. Cool. Uh, So this could be quite a tightly fought contest. You know how it works, Dan. Patrick's compiled a quiz. Ten questions available. Please give me a number between one and ten. Always coming seven. Always coming seven. What is the name of Burke's wife? Irene. Irene for the full two points. Is it bad that I didn't know who Burke or Irene are? (laughs) Yes. It bodes well for me. They're the couple selling Confederated products. Oh, the cop. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 Uh, Any number other than seven, Joe? Fuck. Uh, I hope that... (laughs) Jeez, I'm scared now. Uh, I'll, I'll go with my lucky number to start off with. I'll take number nine, please. Name the actor who plays Rana. The actor who plays Rana is Sarah Polly. Correct for two points, and we have a tied game after the first round. Your next question, Dan. Uh, let's go for number three. Oh, number just the three. angst, like the 90s angst. Sarah Polly is fucking perfect in this movie. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Whose credit card does Simon use for their escapades in Las Vegas? Todd Gaines. Todd Gaines for two points. Joe. Uh, what what number did Dan just pick? Three. Three? Okay, I'll go ten. Number ten. You've unlocked a question with a bonus. Woo. That means Dan will get the other question with a bonus, which is question eight. Question ten first, though, Joe. What color jacket is Marcus wearing that gets him mistaken for a hotel employee? Mustard. Yellow. I'll give it to you for two points. And there is I a bonus. Mustard as well. What brand of car is he given to park by the unsuspecting hotel guest? It is a Ferrari. For the bonus point. So here's the other bonus question. Dan, it's question number eight. What item of clothing does Zach find that makes him believe Adam is cheating on him? Socks without the... uh... (laughs) Correct. Oh, wait, is that the... Did he just get the bonus too? No, the bonus... Is they're both being unfaithful with the same man. Uh, what is his name? Jimmy, the makeup guy. Jimmy, the makeup guy for the <laughs> bonus points. And Joe, it is now your question. Uh, what have we still got left? One, two, four, five, or six? Oh, man, I've been picking good numbers so far. I don't want to fuck this up. Let's go with five. Question number five. 
What song plays when Manny is dreaming of dancing? Oh, uh, the Macarena. Macarena for two points. So we have a tied game with four <laughs> questions left on the board. We're going into the penultimate round. Dan, you're up. One, two, four, or six? Uh, keep with the odds, the one. Nice, easy question. In what year was the film released? 99. Correct for two points. Wow, is everyone going to get maximum points here? That'll be a first. Joe, two, four, or six? So much pressure now that you said that question, too. <laughs> Who directed the film? Okay, Doug Lyman, let's go. Here we go. Nine points all, final round. You got four, you got six. You got six, oh, you got four. Please. Four, please. What is the code word for a private dance at the Crazy Horse? <laughs> uh, champagne. Correct for two points. Uh, Joe, I think you're going to get question six. I think we're going to be going to the tiebreaker. What does Marcus tell his friends not to eat at the buffet? Oh, the shrimp. Correct for two points. Guys, you both scored the maximum. You both Woo! scored 11 points. And By that the means way, we're I, going for the tiebreak. I already, I, you're going to hear a story later in the show about I think my run bad is over. <laughs> and the fact that there was only one question that I would not have known, or I would have had to take the choices, and uh, I missed that one. So I'm real, I feel like, I feel like my unlucky streak is done. I, okay. feel, I ran well as well because I wouldn't have got the car. Um, oh, nice. Okay, so even Stevens and the tiebreaker. I'm sure you know how this works, Dan. The question has a numerical answer. I will read the question. You can decide whether to go for the answer or force Joe to answer, and then the other person gets to go over or under. Uh, to a single decimal point, what is this film's current score on IMDb? So you cannot get Joe to answer, or you can go I mean, for it. I, I think it's one of two things, and I'm just worried that Joe will go for bang on. Um, but I guess if I'm not sure, uh, Joe, you go for it. Okay, I'm going to say 7.8. Joe okay. goes 7.8. Do you want to take the over or the under on 7.8, Dan? I believe it's 7.3 or 7.2, so I'll go under. 7.2 is the correct answer. Whoa! You would like to go under. All right, yes. Wow, he knew the number pretty much. So congratulations, Dan. On the tiebreaker, you have won this week's edition of Superfan vs. Stapes. You will be receiving a Sunday Million ticket. You'll be receiving some Poker in the Ears merch. And Excellent. we'll get in touch to get your details. Thank you so much. Lovely. Thanks so much. It's been lots of fun. And thanks for a great show, by the way. Oh, Dan, thank you. Um, also, I once um, pretty much stalked you in the toilets in uh, when you came over for um, the World Series of Poker, Joe. <laughs> Dude, I, I won't remind you that. Anywhere but right at the toilet is fine. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Directly outside, <laughs> all good. That's what I'm there for. Uh, you know, whatever. I, 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 My ego needs it. You see, <laughs> unfortunately, Dan, you've just crossed the line from being a super fan to being a Stapes stalker. <laughs> so we are now going to have to rebrand the segment. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dan. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. All right, well, usually this is just the wrap-up segment, but we got a little bit of low-stakes poker to discuss before we get out of I here. I kind of feel um, bad I for did. you. I feel bad for you because normally <laughs> this would be the lead, right? This would be how we would have started the show. This would have been the big news story of the week. You get overshadowed by a guy winning five and a half million and a hand that's caused a huge scandal, so you get relegated to the last section of the show. Not only did I 
get sort of scooped by this thing, but it happened before my thing. And one of the major people involved in it, Ryan Feldman, who runs Hustler Casino Live, was at my charity event and docu- on my rail and documenting it and putting it on Twitter. And he still could not knock the other thing no. off his timeline. All people were saying to me, oh, Staves won a charity tournament. Did he win with Jack 4? Did he call down with Jack 4? Did Jack 4 huh. win? Did he have huh. Jack 4? Huh. And I will admit, one of the tweets that pissed me off, no no uh, offense to him, was uh, Patrick Leonard uh, tweeted, for such a great comedian, Stapes missed an opportunity to make Jack 4 his winning hand. And he's 100% right. That would have been hilarious. The problem is, I had never won anything before, so I didn't know how to turn it into a bit. It was well, like look, totally strange territory to me. Let's not jump to the end of the story. The first thing to say <laughs> is I had no idea you were even playing poker the weekend just gone. You said at the end of last week's podcast that you and your friends were going to go down to San Diego. You're going to watch Josh Molina in a play. There was no mention of a charity <laughs> poker tournament. I forgot that bit. The whole thing was like, we're going to make a weekend of it. I, I live, I know for people just listening to the audio version, this will make a lot of sense, but like, I live up here. San Diego's down here where Josh's play was. And uh, the charity tournament was like halfway. So I'm, I was like, on the way back. And because my friends are relatively successful and famous, I get to say to them, hey, I think this charity would really like to have you there. Uh, and I get to bring a bunch of my friends with me. And we sort of made a day of it. And um, so the way things started off was that uh, me, Danny Zucker, Beth Hall, David Pressman all show up about the same time and we're getting registered for the event. And um, what they do is, look, they, they try to sell you rebuys right away. That's the whole point of these charity events. You've been there, James. You've hosted yes. them. And they yes. go, look, rebuys are 100 bucks a piece. But if you buy uh, two now, you get one free. So, okay. so all of us who showed up all were like, well, that's a pretty good deal. And we get to donate to the charity. So go ahead. And, uh, they, 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 they swipe my credit card, but I usually get, uh, a notification saying that my credit card has been swiped on my phone. Pretty common these days, I think. Right. Like, absolutely. I can barely spend five quid online without having to get a pin code sent to my phone. Yeah, exactly. So, I didn't get that notification. So I was like, huh, I'm not really sure if I got charged for this or not, but whatever. They're very busy. I'm just going to, I'll figure it out later. So uh, the charity tournament is pretty cool. A lot of the usual suspects are there. Tiffany Michelle was hosting. Uh, Maria Ho was there. She lives in the neighborhood, actually. Kato Kalen was there, who I don't know if you remember from the OJ Simpson. I'm aware of Kato Kalen, yes. Kato and I have done stand-up before together. We met one time. Turns out he's a poker fan. He sat right next to me. And I will say this. I don't know if I talked about this before. When I met Kato, I was surprised, A, at um, how good a sense of humor he had about everything. He was like... He lived in reality. He totally got who he was. He got what his thing was. He does say... On stage, he talks about OJ being guilty, um, which is kind of funny. And wow. uh, and he was much funnier and much more warm and personable than I was expecting him to be. So when I'm sitting next to him, he ended up getting seating next to me in this poker tournament. Um, I, I was I was happy about it, but turns out there's one drawback to Cato. Cato is a guy who will whisper to you what he folded every no, no, single. No hand he'll be like oh i folded jack eight he's like oh i folded nine ten and you're like 
Cool, man. And he says it like during the hand. I don't really mind after work. I, I'll do it every once in a while, right? We all do it. All us human beings will be like, oh, I folded a four. There was quad fours. Whatever. Um, so Kato's there, a couple other celebrities. Brad Garrett was there. Um, and I told myself that I would see uh, Brad at some point. I would go introduce myself. We never met in person, even though he hired me to work at his club. Um, I did not end up seeing him till he was on the way out the door and he like made eye contact with me as he was leaving and didn't stop. So I just didn't but, say anything to him. And then the next day he emails me, were you at the charity event last night? And I was like, oh, I blew it. <laughs> I guess I should have stopped him on his way out the door. I, I had your he- chance and you blew yeah, it. Yeah, I blew it. Uh, so anyway, let's get down to the nitty gritty of this poker tournament. James, you know how they work. I think a lot of our audience probably does too. Um, you're not really incentivized to play many hands except for in like the very beginning of the tournament where maybe you can bluff some of the people at your table. There's like maybe a couple of levels where you have around 40 to 50 big blinds. But just to go back to your earlier point, Joe, that when you're trying to raise money for a charity and you want people to rebuy as much as possible, you make it a short stack affair so that people are forced all in so that they have to rebuy. Correct. So, and I end up missing a huge chunk of this tournament because I have to go move my car. It's two hour, <laughs> it's two hour parking in Manhattan Beach. I can't afford. I'm not one of these rich fucks who's gonna rebuy eight thousand times. I can't afford a parking ticket. I move my car. I have to move it miles away. So by the time I get back, I've missed all of the playability of this tournament. Right. So, all in all, I play. Is like, it possible? Is it possible that this is what saved you (laughs) by not being able to play through the streets, by not being able to play intricate small ball poker and just basically gambling it up? That's what led to your success. Like, I don't know how to tell this story from start to finish, because all I can say is like, in summary, I saw exactly zero showdowns that weren't all in (laughs) preflop. Actually, it's not true. I did see I did see one. I did see one. But anyway, so okay, well, that means yeah. that you must have been running pretty well in flips, which is something that is not a common theme around these parts. Not true, turns out. Um, I did. I guess. I guess you could say it's true. I won a flip. I got it all okay. in pocket jacks versus ace queen. So oh, wait. So before we get to that, right? At, at, what always happens in these tournaments is there's a, always a break, and on that break, they're like, okay, rebuys are over after this, but you can add on up to X number of times. And again, because it's a charity, they don't really limit how much you can add on. I think it was four add-ons they were saying, right? At a hundred bucks a piece. So I was like, I don't think my credit card got charged from the first one. I can't, I go check my state. It's not on there. So I go, okay, I'll take the max rebuys. Give me four rebuys. Long story short there, about an hour later, my credit card didn't get dinged, but I got like an invoice from the charity <laughs> for like eight hundred dollars <laughs> because I they they didn't lose track of any of my rebuys or any of my buy-ins, and so now I'm in this tournament for like almost a thousand dollars. It's charity, yes, it's twice as much as I wanted to donate. I was looking to donate about four hundred dollars. Now I'm in for about eight hundred. I'm like. Oh, this is classic me. Awesome, obviously. So I get the four add-ons. I really am just folding every single hand, folding, folding, folding. There's really nothing I can do. I do get it all in jacks versus ace-queen and hold. 
And then I fold, 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 fold. I get it in ace, king versus ace, seven, and nines. Uh, and I lose to the nines, but I beat the ace, seven, who had way more chips than the nines. So I do end up making a profit on that hand. And then I had a classic hand where uh, I had king, queen of diamonds. And I'm really in shove fold territory, as you are a lot of the times in these tournaments. But yeah. I'm reluctant. I'm, in the, I'm on the button with king, queen of diamonds, and there's three people in uh, in front of me. I have no fold equity, so I just decide I'm going to peel, and the flop comes jack, ten of diamonds, and uh, I shove this flop, and I get called by a ten, and it goes brick, brick, which has been my entire year. I've like I've just missed turns and rivers the entire fucking year, and I'm, 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 I'm like insane with rage that I still have yet to hit a hand. Somehow everyone's going broke fast and furious. Somehow I'm at the final table. I have like four big blinds. What um, was the big stack at this point? I mean, you say you have four big blinds, but I get the impression that that's not that far behind. The, the biggest stack is probably 13 big blinds. Right, exactly. So this is playing very, very shallow and Pretty much everyone is in shelf fold mode. Correct. It's playing very shell, and I guess I do have a slight advantage in this case is that I do understand like what hands I should be shoving from what position, even though you would think four big blinds are shoving anything. Not really in a tournament like this, because you do have a little bit of fold equity, I think, in some situations. Uh, when you're shoving into a six big blind stack or even a 10 big blind stack, it looks like a lot of chips. It sounds like a lot of chips. And I think so at the final table, it's me, Beth Hall, Danny Zucker. So three people from our home game are in the in the the final table. Another actor named Peter McKenzie, who I've played with pretty regularly, would be in the home game. Uh, just isn't for some reason. So it's like four of us that know each other pretty well. Uh Somehow, somehow, um, when we're about seven handed, I shove, I have like four or five big blinds. I shove ace six of hearts and Danny Zucker wakes up with ace 10 and I can see he's, by the way, I've, I've stolen a bunch of times. Um, like pretty much every time it's shoved, it's folded me in late position. I'm just shoving and I'm getting folds. People are, dude, John Aguiar, watch me, watch me play a hand where it went like raise, call, call, for raise like two big blinds, and I shoved for five big blinds, and everyone folded. Um, awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. And he was laughing so hard because he was like, he, obviously, he, he's not going to say he anything knows. during the hand, but like, yeah. But he ev knows. Everyone's dying, right? So I shove ace six of hearts. I can tell Danny's conflicted, but he ends up calling with ace 10, which obviously like, annoys me slightly right that he's like at all conflicted and the flop comes here's where it comes guys this is it my my fucking streak is over the flop comes six and two hearts turn and river our bricks but the six is good and i more or less decimate danny he's out on like the next hand and i've had like my first suck out in a big spot in like 18 months so now i've got like eight or nine big blinds and uh, we're down to like four or five hand. I can't really remember. Uh, by the way, the, the pace is just going crazy, right? It's just like bang, bang, bang. Someone's getting eliminated every hand. Um, I think we're down to four-handed. And I, now I shove ace four suited uh, from the button. And the small blind, 
very smugly calls with two red aces. Oh. And the flop comes down two, seven, three. Sorry, two, seven, six, two spades. Turn gives me a straight draw. And the river is the five of spades. So I make the straight and I make the flush. It's my first flush of the year that I've made with two suited cards. In my hand. Look, I've made other flushes, right? Where the, where the board four flushed or whatever. But like, as far as having two cards in my hand, flopping a flush draw and hitting it on the Turner River the first time all year. And the dude with the aces was the chip leader, was like, had all of the chips. Now I have all of the chips. Peter McKenzie ends up going out in third place. Now I'm heads up against this guy who truly does not know what he's doing at all. Now, here's where something weird happens. Just to be clear, at this point, I'm assuming you're into the prizes. Not into the money, yes. because this is a charity so the, event. There was prizes that started at 10th place. It was like a $100 gift certificate from 10th to 6th. Fifth was like a spa package. Fourth was, I don't, I don't remember... But we're into the good prizes by third. So, oh, I can imagine. So third was a private tequila tasting and chef for 10 friends come to your house. I would have been very happy with that. I love hanging out with friends. Second prize is a trip to the Bahamas, which I did not read the details on. But given that it said trip to the Bahamas, I assume flights were covered. And also given that it was like just below the, uh, the the 10K World Series of Poker seat, which obviously was first place. So we knock out uh, Peter McKenzie. Now, something had happened that I was not aware of. At one point, Peter comes over to me and goes, hey, is that guy bothering Beth? And I hadn't clocked it. I hadn't picked up on it. But apparently what had happened, there was a very drunk fella who was a very generous donator to the charity, but rocked up behind Beth and was like, Hey, I used to play a Molly's game. Let me help you. Let me uh, let me tell you what to do. I'm a, I, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm, let, me, let me tell you what to do. And it's a charity tournament, right? So you're never sure like how much you're supposed to be policing these things. You want people to have fun, but also especially once you're at like real prizes being involved. So and also Beth Hall to reiterate does not need anyone's help. No, but that's irrelevant. The, the reality is if someone is bothering someone, I it's, don't care whether it's a charity event, the venue does have a responsibility to kind it, of intervene in this it, situation. Not, not only is it like a game integrity thing, but also it's it's rude to be mansplaining. Oh, yeah, hands. absolutely. That's that that's the thing. I'm, I'm not necessarily that worried about the game integrity. It's more respect other players. And that's that's what's not happening here. And that's why someone needs to intervene. Yeah, so... Beth ended up getting, and Beth can handle herself and kind of just kind of dealt with it, especially that she's there as a celebrity, right? Um, yeah. She's used to it. But by the time we're heads up, this guy's now behind the guy I'm playing heads up against and telling him what to do. And no, no, no. I, look, I wouldn't say anything. I'm there as like an ambassador, whatever. And the guy I'm playing against literally does not have any idea what's going on. Um, but I don't love the fact that now I can sort of get my, my win tainted or loss or lose heads up because someone else is intervening. There ends up being a bit of an altercation between tournament staff and this drunk fella, uh, that luckily eventually de-escalates, but almost gets physical, almost gets physical. Yeah. And so once this goes away, I look at the dude and I go, Hey man. 
which prize do you want? Because if he doesn't want the main event seat as a guy that's never played before, we don't have to play this out. I don't have to like feel like an idiot losing the seat to someone that doesn't even want it. And he goes, and now he's confused because he thinks I'm angling for the vacation. So he's like, let's play it out. And I'm like, are you sure? Which pro- Tell me which prize do you want? He goes, I want the Bahamas. I go, good. You can have it. I'll take the... I'll take the main event seat. He's like, done, fine, good. So when you see in my winning winner's photo, five deuce sitting in front of my trophy, I didn't win with five deuce. Five deuce is the hand I had when he surrendered. <laughs> like, there is no... Because I got the first prize, I was given the win. That's how it works, right? So right. I didn't I mean, actually beat the guy heads up. I wouldn't lie about this sort of thing. That's a pretty solid deal where you basically just negotiate first prize without having to play a single hand of heads-up poker. It is, to uh, to use the joke from The Simpsons, you won courtesy of everyone's two favorite words in the English language, default. Default, absolutely. So here, here's the best part, though, and here's where this is classic stapes, is that as we're leading up to this, right, everyone's super happy for me. Everyone's like, stapes, I can't believe you're going to win this seat. I mean, we're talking about... Five, six-handed, right? People are saying this to yeah, me. Yeah. I don't like that kind of talk. But even when I'm heads up and it starts becoming a reality to me that I'm probably going to win this seat, if not, I can probably beat this guy heads up unless I get very unlucky um, or we can make a deal. When the whole thing's over and I've won the seat, Tiffany, everyone, they're trying to get photos of me, whatever, like trying to get, and I, they're like, why don't you seem that happy? And I, I, I was happy. I was very happy. I was so happy. The problem is, like, about 30 minutes before I even win this, I start getting anxiety about having to play the main event and about uh, what am I going to do? Am I going to sell oh. action? Am I going to – I'm I'm probably going to get beat day, bad beat day one of the main event. Like, this is just going to be like a the, the, the Lucy yanking the football. And I know that's not right, but my no, brain is just – it's ridiculous because – well, you just need to tell your brain that, number one, you are – Pretty much free rolling. I know you made significant contributions to the charity, but yeah, you're no, I agree. Pretty I much agree. It's be a free rolling. rolling. No, no, it's a free and roll. And secondly, I think you know, as a, this came up on the stream on Monday night, you can potentially just sell a bit of action to close friends. Maybe just you know ensure that you're not playing effectively a 10k, but maybe playing like even a 5k, playing yeah. even 50% of the buy-in. More than anything. Just enjoy it, man. This is what we say to everyone yeah. who satellites into a big tournament. When yeah. people say, I'm nervous about playing my first EPT or playing my first like regional event like a UK IPT, just enjoy the experience. I can't believe I have to quote your own words back at you. I know. But like I said, I've been in this situation so few times before. And believe me, I wish I weren't like this. I wish I were like, fuck yeah, I'm free rolling the, the main event. I think by the time I get there, um, I will have done some preparation, whatever. And, and that's one thing I'm very excited about, right? It should be pretty sure. good content. For, for Absolutely. Absolutely. All I will say, and again, to give you the same advice that we try to give anyone who's won a Platinum Pass to the PSPC, don't overthink it, though. When you talk about preparing... I won't. You know, just don't, don't change what makes you... I won't because I was actually talking to Adam Levy about this yesterday and he's like, well, you're obviously going to like study and do coaching up until then. And I was like, I was like, dude, I I know this sounds dumb. If it ends up being like a big content thing where Stapes gets coaching and we get to squeeze a lot of juice out of it, I'll probably do a lot of coaching. If not, probably not because I don't, I don't want to ruin this 
by making it work, by making it, it study, be, by make I want to have be fun, a fun with experience. it. Right. Absolutely. Uh, but on the subject of coaching, yes. on the subject of receiving professional advice, tell everyone what's happening on next week's podcast. That's Joe. right. This is the point where I usually say, "All right, my babies, we're almost out of time for this week's episode. Next week, we're going to analyze what little play there is of mine to analyze in modern history on video." I played some cash at Texas Card House Live. Obviously, not the same as tournament strategy. And there's a little PLO mixed into that, too. So that should be fun. And when I say we're going to analyze it, what I mean is James and I are going to ask Maria Ho how bad I played. And Maria, I believe, had a financial interest in the outcome of some of these hands. She did, yes. And also, we've got a funny story to tell because she didn't realize how much of a violent financial interest <laughs> until she tuned in. And I got a text message from her that more or less said, wait, what? <laughs> so, so Maria on next week's podcast, analyzing Joe Stapleton. Cannot wait. That's right. And in the meantime, you guys want to chat about this. Anything else you heard on this week's show, I really do like chatting about the show. If you want to continue the discussion, we do that on Discord. There is a Poker in the Ears Discord. There's a link in the description of the show. Come join us. Come hang out. Suggest questions. Submit your super fan applications. We need you guys to participate in the show. However... That is all the time we have got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later.